Bible reading comes from Revelation chapter 22, verse 6 to 21, and that is on page 879. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and all those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may go that, that sorry, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the, this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of the prophecy... God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things say, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let us come before our Lord God in time of prayer together. Let us pray and then think about this passage. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can meet together in your name, and we pray that as we think about this passage from Revelation, uh, that you'd help us to understand the essence of it uh, and grow in our faith in response to what we understand. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever noticed that there are some journeys where people look forward to the end of the trip more than other journeys? I know a guy who had a, an exciting trip planned for Central Australia with one of his mates. He was all excited and bubbly about the uh, journey and ready to get out there and, and do the camping. But two-thirds of the way trip, he, um, he really started to miss his own home and especially his own bed. Uh, and towards the later stage of the journey, he, he couldn't wait for the trip to end. And so in the end, uh, they actually cut the trip short and, and just went home. His famous last words were, there's no place like...
home. That's right. And especially your own bed. Uh, another friend of mine was bushwalking in the Blue Mountains when one of uh, his mates walking with him uh, slipped on the track. There were some leaves covering a section that sort of subsided and the guy went down into through the leaves and broke his leg. He was a bit of a tough customer, so he was able to uh, try and soldier on for a while. But there's only so far you can soldier on with a broken leg, isn't there? And so eventually, uh, during that painful experience, they had to call in a helicopter. And it's good, isn't it, having mobile phones and EPIRBs and things like that? You can get a chopper to come. Uh, and that chopper couldn't come fast enough for that guy. Was he looking forward to the end of that trip? You bet he was. Well, in today's passage, we're, we're actually building to a bit of excitement and great expectation. And there's a steady sort of a sound, like a refrain of uh, even a bell being rung through parts of a song, just sort of ringing again and again and again through it. And in this passage, we get some words, Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Yes, I'm coming soon. And we're reminded that there is no place like home. That Jesus wants us to look forward to the end of this journey of life and to be with him in the end. But the challenge for us is to know whether you and I are ready for that time. The first point of my outline you'll notice there says the end is soon, but first there are challenges. In chapter 22 verse 6 we've again been introduced to an angel who echoes the message of the words of this book at the very start. In verse 6 we learn that God's sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. In Revelation we've been given a picture of time after Jesus has been raised from the dead to a time in the middle where there's resistance against God and his people and then a time at the end where the dwelling of people is with God. And in view of this fact that Jesus is coming again, the angel asserts that the people who keep, or if you like, obey the words of this prophecy, those ones are the truly blessed ones. In other words, the faithful people are, the going, to be, are going to be the very joyous, profoundly joyful people, is another way of saying blessed. But what does it mean to actually keep the words of this prophecy or obey the words of this prophecy? Well, we don't need to go back over the entire book today, but there are a number of things that do stand out that are highlights. Uh, first of all, from the start of the book, we learnt a lesson from the churches. We learnt that some of them uh, failed. Of the seven, two were pretty good and the others didn't quite reach their potential. Some of them abandoned their first love. Some of them were led astray by false teaching. Some succumbed to sexual immorality and idolatry and they didn't repent. And some became lukewarm towards God. And we're encouraged not to be like those churches that didn't reach their potential. Instead, we're challenged to be the ones who are the conquerors in this age and enjoy entering into God's presence at the end. And so we ought to be obeying the challenges of this book, keeping the words of this book, in not being like those, those rotten churches, but instead being like the faithful ones. Secondly, we've seen throughout Revelation there's been the challenge to stand with God's people, who, those people who prefer to worship God, than to cave into the pressure to worship God's substitutes. 
counterfeit gods. We looked at that in chapter 13 about the, the beast. Uh, people were tempted to move on from their allegiance to God because it might cost them persecution. They might suffer for being God's people. Uh, but the message there was to endure, stand till the end and be faithful as God's people. And so if we're going to keep the words of this prophecy, then we'll be people who obey God alone. We'll be people who seek to be uh, wholehearted in our devotion to God and consistent, not just hot for a season, but consistent throughout to the end and be the ones who ultimately are found to be conquering and entering the new age because of God's work within us. The end soon, but first of all we have the challenges and we're challenged to keep the words of the prophecy in this book and if we do, we are the blessed ones. But are we ready for the end? Well, God calls us to be people who worship him alone. We're in point two of my outline and we see something here, something of an odd scene where we've just been told to keep the words of this prophecy and John, in an odd fashion, falls down to worship the angel who gives him this revelation. What are we to make of this? Well, it doesn't seem that John actually does worship the angel, uh, but he falls down to worship him until the angel intervenes. It seems that John, in the first place, is caught up in a mindless moment. Uh, he seems to get ready to worship the angel very quickly. But is this really a warning that God's people could be tempted to, instead of worship God, they could be tempted to worship a messenger? We see this kind of thing happening in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 14, Paul heals a crippled person and then the crowd uh, goes to make Barnabas Zeus and crown him a god and Paul, they want to treat him as Hermes, as a god. And Paul says to the crowd, no, don't do it, we're only men. But the, the crowd's ready to worship the messengers rather than God. And I suppose Christians might also be tempted to do this with um, some famous preachers as well. Uh, men like John Calvin, George Whitfield, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, perhaps even Billy Graham or Don Carson. Christians might be tempted to worship the preacher uh, and forget a little bit more about who the preacher is trying to direct them to, to worship God. The good news here today is that uh, you might not be overwhelmed by that kind of temptation, so you're in safe hands, friends. But one could imagine that for John's community, uh, he could have been a target for a type of Christian hero worship. Uh, and in any case, he leaves them in no doubt that they mustn't worship the messenger, they must worship God. That's what we see in verse 9. Well, as we um, work through this passage on the journey towards the end, we come across two groups that come into focus. In verses 13, 10 to 13, we see the section beginning saying, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. And so we're introduced to the idea that there's still scope for people to sort things out with God before the very end comes. Throughout Revelation, when seals have been opened, we've seen that there's, this is linked to the progressing progressive unfolding of, of events before the very end. Uh, but what's being said here is don't seal this book up. People need to 
grapple with these things, to feel the heat of it, the weight of it. And this is a message that isn't to be silenced. People need to hear it and to come to terms with it. The angel continues by pointing out that in this life and in the life to come, there really are only two groups of people. Those who prefer to be rebellious against God and those who prefer to side with God and show from their actions that they've been changed by God. I'll pick it up in verse 11 and 12. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. There is a time at the end when judgment will be according to works. Jesus will reward according to what a person's done. The question is, will you and I be found to have done the works that God requires? In John chapter 6, verse 29, that question is asked of Jesus. What are the works that God requires? And he, Jesus gives the answer to believe in the Son whom he sent. Uh, that's, that's our job, friends. To believe in Jesus and enjoy the fact that he's actually done the righteous things on our behalf that we might enjoy salvation. But the new life that we enjoy as a result of believing in Jesus will be accompanied by good works. We should be bearing fruit that shows we've been saved. Now, if we are people who will be making it to the end as Christians, fit and ready to serve in God's presence, it's not because um, we're, we're such wonderful people. Now, the Bible reminds us that if we're those who are judged and end up on the right side of God's judgment because of Christ's work on our behalf and, and then being seen to be showing fruit for that, it's because of God's work in our lives and God's motivating us to live a different life. God's work is shown in the book of Revelation in chapter 5 verse 9. We're reminded that Jesus was slain and he ransomed people for God. That is, by saying this word, this ransom word, we're grappling with the idea that Jesus buys us back. He frees us from a slavery to sin and he calls us to a new life. We've been paid for by him. He paid the price to free us from sin and bring us new life with God. That's the work of God's grace from the first. But we're also reminded that we continue in the Christian life, not because of our own strength, but because God works it out within us. Another part of the Bible that talks about God's continued process in our salvation, his grace in our lives, is Romans chapter 8, verse 30. It says, Those whom God predestined, which John McLean talked about last week, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So our salvation's got its origin in God from the first and God works it out to the end. It's by his grace from first to last that we're saved. And we're not simply called to let go and let God though. Uh, we notice in the passage in Revelation it says, 
Let him who does right continue to do right. So if we've been justified by God, if we're right with God, if we're his people, then we've got an active job to do. Let him who is holy, we are now sanctified, we've been set apart, we are God's holy people, and we're to continue to be holy. That's a funky ringtone, isn't it? <laughs> well, there's an active thing to do in the Christian life. Uh, we mustn't fall asleep, sleep at the wheel metaphorically of the Christian life. Uh, having taken a trip to the Blue Mountains in the last holiday, we went to see Scenic World and have a look at the Three Sisters. Unfortunately, the whole mountainside was engulfed in a cloud, so we saw next to nothing. It was fun going down the train into the Jamison Valley and seeing the cloud and trying to eat it, those good things. But on the way back, we were all pretty tired, and uh, I can tell you, falling asleep at the wheel... I haven't really done it, but I, I, I think I had a touch of a microsleep because as I moved from my lane over to those little bumpy things in the middle, uh, I thought, hmm, yes, I didn't realise I was bumping into those for a moment there and I decided it's time to pull over and to get alert once again. I was ready to hand over the wheel to Joanne, but she doesn't like to drive in Sydney anyway, so I found myself just taking a bit of a break and getting ready to drive again. But in the Christian life, we can't fall asleep at the wheel, can we? Uh, the challenge is to be active. The challenge is to be disciplined in the Christian life. It's not always easy, is it, to spend time reading God's Word. It can be a bit of a challenge, but it's the right thing to do. A bit each day is better than trying to do three hours on Sunday. Uh, and it's good. I was talking to a friend this week about how he does it with his family. And uh, he said, yeah, he, he reads the Bible with his family after dinner. And I, we try to do the same thing at our place. It's a good, it's a good little discipline. But if, if your family likes anything like mine, it's not always easy to be consistent. But that's still what God calls us to. He wants us to be active in the Christian life, to continue to do right, to continue to walk with him, to continue to be holy. We mustn't fall asleep at the wheel of the Christian life. Well, there are two groups. Let us make sure that we're of the group that perseveres with the Lord during this life and enjoys being fit to serve in God's presence at the end. But what will your, word, what will your response be to the words of this prophecy? That's point four in my outline if you're following along. In verses 14 to 17, we're given some pretty stark language about how people respond to God. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. That's one response. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Once again, we've given this image that there will be those who enter into life with God and those who end up on the outside. And this blessing is pronounced only on those who wash their robes, an image of uh, being cleansed, of being cleansed from sin. That brings us back to the language of chapter 7, verse 13 where one of the elders asked John and says, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are those who've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes 
and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, which is irony. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. There's still time for people, even in this age, to sort things out with God and to be in that camp that washes their robes, that they become fit to serve in God's presence by being cleansed and forgiven of their sins. We see there's a challenge in verse 17 that says, uh, Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. There's still the gift of salvation that people can receive. And we've got a responsibility as Christians to hold that out in our own way. And so it's right for us to think about who we could be engaging with to share the gospel. I know uh, it's not always easy to be... uh, Like attracts like, don't you? You can only be friends with so many people. But of the people that we can be friends with, it's good for us to think through how can we perhaps uh, even have a Christian conversation with them, challenge them about where they stand with God over time. There's still room for people to get right with God before Jesus comes again. Well, in point five, we'll notice there are warnings about keeping this prophecy. Verses 18 and 19 remind us that we've got no right to change the words in this prophecy. We've got no liberty to change it. It doesn't matter whether people want to hear it or not. We're to be the mature who keep the words of the prophecy of this book and not to change them. The trouble is that people and even those who've become part of church through the generations haven't always been interested in keeping God's words pure. This is what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 to 4. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction because the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. People won't tolerate sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You'll notice if you go into the bookstores, if you look at the section on religion and in the town library, the books are, are not necessarily filled with what you'd call orthodox Christian teaching. They're not filled with... Um, necessarily the Westminster Confession or you know, books that expound the Bible carefully, they're filled with people who want to undermine the truth of God's word and, and say radical things like Jesus went to America and had a family or he mar- married Mary Magdalene. Ridiculous things. It's hard to prove any of that from history because there weren't very many books written at the time the Gospels were written anyway. But people want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. And Paul in the message to Timothy says they'll turn their ears away from the truth and aside to myths. The Bible has always using this idea of myths as a negative thing. What we're dealing with is truth. And an example of that also happening, if you like, in the field was when Paul was leaving Ephesus and he's giving the elders a pep talk before he goes. He says to them in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, 
I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise. That's the very church he's talking to. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your, be on your guard, is what he said. We also ought to be on guard as well and hold on to God's word and pass it down to the generations to accept it as it is and not to seek to change the words of this prophecy nor any other parts of God's word. Well, Jesus promises to come again in 20 and 21. He says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Throughout Revelation, we've seen that life uh, is not all smooth sailing, is it? But through today's passage, we're given the refrain once again that Jesus is coming soon. The early Christians were persuaded that Jesus would come again because when he was with them, he told them he would rise from the dead. They didn't quite appreciate that until after he was risen. He told them before he'd risen he was going to rise, but they didn't quite appreciate it. They were downcast and very unhappy. But when they saw him rise from the dead, their lives were changed. And they gave up their lives for him and for the gospel. And in some ways we are also going to find it hard to imagine as we go about our day-to-day business what it would be like for Jesus to return. It's hard for us to imagine that. But we can see that Jesus keeps his promises. He promised his disciples that he would rise again and he did. And they were transformed in their faith in him as they served the risen Lord. And we're also called to believe him that he will return again because he's already done it once before as well. The fact that Jesus is going to return again is a comfort, especially in this life when we experience hardship or loneliness. There's all manner of sorrows and difficulties that we experience in this age. And so it is a comfort to think that Jesus will come again. The challenge for us, though, is whether we'll be ready or not. Will we be found to be ready when he comes, serving him wholeheartedly? On Friday night, the youth group was challenged to remember that Jesus is going to come with his holy angels. And the question Jesus leaves them and us with is, will we be ashamed of him? And so it's exciting to think that Young people can even be challenged with the fact that Jesus is going to be returning again and they can enjoy life with him and not be ashamed of him and he won't be ashamed of them on Judgment Day either. Well, are you and I looking forward to the end? At the beginning of this sermon, I spoke about a man who went on a Central Australia trip and he came to the profound realisation that there's no place like home. He looked forward to the end of his journey. What about us? Do you remember that there's no place like home? That heaven's our home. That's where we long to be with the Lord, like those closing chapters of Revelation show, a time when there's no more sorrow or sin. Those things are a thing of the past. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Are we going to be ready for him when he comes at the end?
May God help us to be. May God help us to be consistent in the Christian life, eager to serve him and persevering until the end of the ages. Let us pray and ask God to help us to do that now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder today that Jesus promises to come again. We thank you that he uh, promised that to the disciples, that he would rise again. And we thank you that he is reliable and he promises to take us to be with you. Lord, between now and that time, we pray for wisdom and a spirit of humility to live well as your people. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be mindful that while there's life, there's hope for all kinds of people to come to life with you if they put their trust in Jesus as well. And we pray that you'd help us to be engaged in that mission. Lord God, help us to be people who don't want to just hear what our itching ears want to hear. Instead, help us to accept uh, your word as it is and to submit to it. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've been able to think about the challenges in the book of Revelation, uh, not to be people who forget our first love of you, not to be people who don't repent for sin. Lord, help us to be the ones who don't serve any other God apart from you. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be the ones who endure to the end of the ages. We thank you for this time now that we've been able to be encouraged from this book and we pray that we would have a, a good morning as we encourage each other to serve you. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.